Come on again. We are so grateful that you are with us this morning. Um, we start Christmas matches today. We get into more next week, and we are so excited for next week, man. Invite family members. Listen, for those who are part of BC, which you are, you're here today. You walked in, and we gave you a Christmas gift on behalf of Believer's Chapel. It's small, but we had to buy a 1,000 of them. You know what I mean? So it's like, it is what it is. But like, it's amazing because it's like the black box. It's like, what's in the black box? Like, we people are like, oh, look, it's Perkins crayons. These are amazing. Like, you know, that, or or we got like, oh, are these those, those, remember those like cigarettes that you would like chew on, like the fake cigarettes, the candy cigarettes? We're like, no, we're not gonna, we're not giving out candy cigarettes. We're not Marlboro, man. Like, we're not, we're not giving out candy cigarettes, right? Someone says, oh, it's a lighter in there. I can feel it's a lighter. Ah, no, we're not handing out lighters. For everyone to, we're not handing out lighters. I don't know, someone said, oh, it's chalk. It must be like sidewalk chalk. It's not. It's a keychain, and we just love you, and we're just so thankful that you are with us as a part of Believer's Chapel. So if you did not get one, it's an awesome Believer's Chapel keychain. We're so thankful for you. We praise the Lord for you. Uh, we just wanted to give those who are part of this church a nice little gift that just says, we love you, Merry Christmas, Put it on your keychain. When you see it, praise the Lord for Believer's Chapel. When you see it, remember to pray for the church and God doing a mighty work in and through this region. And we are just glad, truly glad that you're a part of this morning. And please just take that. If you didn't get one, we got plenty. Please uh, grab it on the way out the door. But uh, come on, we are just thankful for today. Man, I hope that you are, are, are preparing and getting ready for Christmas. Who's got their Christmas shopping done, right? Who's got their Christmas shopping done? All right, who doesn't have their Christmas shopping done? All right, who hasn't started Christmas shopping? And all the hands of the men are like, yeah, well, that, that's, we haven't started yet, um, but we will. And uh, it's what a fun time. And I hope that this is a fun time of year for you. I hope that you're enjoying the season. Uh, and I do know that at times it can be a difficult season for many. And uh, we, do, we, do, we do take that into consideration but it is a joyous time that we do keep Jesus as the reason for the season. And even if this is a difficult time, even if this reminds you of, of a lost one that you've loved, or maybe you're alone for the first time for Christmas, whatever this looks like for you, uh, man, we also have these little bracelets that say Jesus is the reason for the season. In everything, man, no matter what this season reminds you of, let this be the reminder of, of what we celebrate, who we celebrate, why we celebrate. And it truly is that God put on flesh, found himself in a feeding trough, very much on purpose to find himself on a cross to deal with the issue that no one could ever deal with. And that's the sin issue. And Jesus is the reason for the season. And keep the purpose in mind that Jesus Christ came as God in flesh, in a feed trough, to put himself on a cross, on purpose, all planned out, so that he could deal with the sin issue that you and I could not deal with ourselves. And to that, we can understand that Jesus truly is the reason for this season. I love this season. I hope that this is a good season for you. I hope that you're going to have a great week. And man, we are looking forward to our Christmas celebration next Sunday, 9 and 11, and then uh, candlelight service at 7 p.m. It's going to be a truly a blessed day 
next week. But come on, I want to get into this. We got a lot to cover, man. Jack, be nimble. Jack, be quick, man. We're going to be flipping to a lot of different places. I'm not putting any verses up on the screen. I'm going to have us turn because I want us to turn, see it, read it. You can get online if you have to on your phones or whatever that looks like for you. But we're going to go to many places today in scripture because I'm going to try to look at something of today being God with us. And church, what is it like? How do you wrap your mind around God being with us, God leaving heaven, putting on flesh to find himself in a feed trough in order to find himself on a cross very much planned out in the sovereignty of God and like to realize the the grandeur and the majesty and the excellence and the brilliance of God Almighty to leave heaven and put on flesh to find himself in a feeding trough so that you and I would understand what it is to be safe what it is to be saved, what it is to be redeemed, paid for and bought back because God left heaven and put on flesh in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. Like church, like try to wrap our minds around this. We say Emmanuel, we sing Emmanuel. It's a huge part of the Christmas story. It's incredible. But the reality check is to try to put this into perspective of all that it took in the history of prophecy from Isaiah to Micah to to look at what this really unfolded and unpacked through the Christmas story. Oh, it's intense. It's amazing. And this is one thing I want you to recognize today. I I want you to, I I want to turn with me please to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and then we're going to get into Isaiah 7, and then we're going to get into Matthew 1, and then we'll probably hopefully get over to Galatians 4. We're going to be, be jumping all over the place. Come on. Father, I do ask that you would just bless the reading of your word today. Father, I ask that you would move powerfully in this service. God, I pray for an anointing on this word, that God, it would speak directly to where we're at. God, speak directly to the season that we are in. Jesus, as we celebrate you, we're amazed by you. We're amazed by your word. Help us to see what we need to see. Help us to hear what we need to hear. And God, I pray that you would speak into our hearts today, that we walk out of this place blessed. We walk out of this place encouraged. God, we walk out of this place as we have downloaded what we need to download back onto you. And God, we walk out of this place free. We walk out of this place saved. For those who don't know you, God, let this be their day. In Jesus' mighty, precious name. Come on, amen. Amen. Come on, this is what I want to start and then I want to finish. I want you to hear this. Revelation 12, verse nine, just simply says this. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Church, what is it about the Christmas story that we are so reminded of God's grace? What is it that God is with us and the understanding of God's grace is enough? Now, I want you to see it. For you said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Church, what happens when you begin to look at the Christmas story that God left heaven put on flesh and it's amazing of how that happened, of the people that God used to bring forth the prophecy of one being born through a virgin. Like, it's amazing to begin to unpack that and to see the reality and the truth of God coming to be with us. It came through a lineage of broken, hurting, sinful, suffering people. 
People who were just messed up. People who were hurting. People who had a past. People who were suffering. People who were broken. People who were in the depths of sin. And God used it all. When I see the Christmas story, I see God's grace in action. It's amazing when we understand, God, your grace is sufficient for me. And man, even before we really begin to preach, man, I want you to get that today. Wherever you're at in your season of life, no matter what your past might look like, no matter what your family tree or your ancestors might look like, I believe this, that God's grace is enough for you. Do not buy into the lie that the enemy is selling. And he's selling at a high rate that says, listen, I'm not good enough. Man, I have a past. Man, God can't love me the way I am. God can't love me due to my past. Do you know my history? Do you know my family's history? And you can buy in and bite into that lie for so long until you understand, wait, God uses broken people. God uses sinful past for his glory. God can do something in your life even now in this moment that you would buy into this biblical truth that God's grace, his favor, his kindness, his grace is enough for you. And in your weakness, you can be made powerful. And in that, it is for his glory. Church, what happens when you start getting past your past? What happens when you don't buy into that lie of, oh, I'm just not good enough. Oh, my sin is too, is too deep. Please hear me. Before we even get into this Christmas story, I need you to buy into this absolute truth that you can never out God's grace. Or sin abounds, God's grace abounds much more. And church, we need to understand this as we see what a beautiful, precious story it is. The baby in the manger, and we do this whole beautiful manger up here with this great little feeding trough and this stable and the hay, and it looks so pretty with the lanterns, and it's so nice. But the reality of the story is it was just dirty, and there was filthy animals, and it really was where they ate and drank out of a feeding trough. Like it wasn't, like this is pretty and nice. But the reality is to the story is God left heaven and put on flesh and literally found himself born of a virgin placed in a feeding trough where animals would eat or drink. No one in this church has given birth or laid their, their amazing brand new gift. Like we believe in this sterile hospital and the sterile room and the sterile cloth and the sterile this and the sterile that and all the way, amen, good, like good. But this wasn't that. And to realize that all of this is, God, your grace is enough. Come on, Isaiah chapter 7, please. Isaiah chapter 7. And, and I want you to see this 700-year-old prophecy that we get to talk about that, that just trying to unpack majesty in a manger and try to understand his brilliance and his excellence and his radiance and his power and his authority all was laid in a feeding trough. And all of this was prophesied 700 years before this event took place. Church, if you want to be able to, to answer the question, how do you know the Bible is true? Well, there's many good answers to that. But my solid answer is based off of the prophecies that were fulfilled. And the prophecies that were fulfilled even at the birth of Jesus, the prophecies that were fulfilled at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and then yet the prophecies to be fulfilled, which is the, the next one to be fulfilled is Jesus' mighty return. So when you, when you begin to see, okay, how do I know that the Bible is true? My absolute go-to is the prophecies that impossible to be ironed out to the exact perfect truth that was spoken these Two were spoken 700 years before. That's Jesus' birth through a virgin, 
and that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And how all of that took place is today's story. How is it that it came about that a virgin gave birth? How is it that Joseph became the adopted father of Jesus in order to be able to get to Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy in Micah chapter two or Micah chapter five? Like the Bible is true. And, and, and my go-to on that is always fulfilled prophecy. So let's look at Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. It says this, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. And then he says this, behold. And this is like, when you see behold in scripture, it's like an announcement. It's like the, the trumpets are sounding. This is a big announcement. And he says this, behold, a virgin will be with child. Like just reading that, you're like, da, wow. What, like, woo, that, that's never happened before. And then it happened. And then it's never going to happen again. Well, this is that, that true miracle birth that a virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel, which translates God is with us. Church, what is it to try to read this and not know when this is going to take place and not know the, the, true, the true fulfillment of this prophecy? Like, when is this going to take place? Come on, quickly, uh, turn me over to Genesis chapter 3. And I want you to see this because this is, this is the first time that we see Jesus mentioned in Scripture. This is the first time where we see, like, you've got Adam and Eve. They blew it. Uh, you know, the serpent came and, and deceived Eve. Adam's standing there like a knucklehead, letting it all happen. Adam gets blamed for this. Uh, then God shows up. Uh, and then begins to walk through Adam. What happened? Eve, uh, what were you thinking? And then, and then I love it where God turns to the serpent. And then he kind of goes through the, the account of the serpent. In verse 15, chapter 3, it says this, and I will put enmity. He's speaking to the serpent who was Satan. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And, and, and when you begin to dive into the reality of, of Genesis 3.15, this is speaking of the woman being Mary and the woman's seed being Jesus. He says, there's, Jesus is coming and there's going to be a battle. And I love this. I love the game here that God is letting Satan know, hey, uh, as long as it takes, there's a day that you're defeated. There's a day that there's a woman that is going to give birth to the seed and it is that seed that's going to be your end. And I love the reality of Genesis 3.15. But the thing that Genesis 3.15 doesn't tell us is when. It doesn't give us a timetable. It doesn't say in so many years from now. It doesn't say in, in BC or AD. It doesn't say anything about a timetable. It doesn't give years. It just says it's going to happen. And there's going to be a woman. And she is going to give birth to seed. And in that seed, it will be your destruction. And then you go back to Isaiah 7:14, And you begin to see and unpack what this really looks like. To say, okay, um, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, a virgin, that's the woman, will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Come on, throw me to... Galatians, please. And I want you to see this as Paul writes this for us, even in Galatians chapter 4. Because, church, what is it that it's it, it truly, when we recognize and understand, it's just the, the whole word, Emmanuel, God with us? Church, it's a really big deal. 
No, it's, 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 it's to understand how grand this is, to understand that it really is majesty in a feeding trough. It's his brilliance and his excellence. It's God himself who put himself in a feeding trough. Church, when you try to try to dive into this, into all of the universe, that we are billions and billions and billions of dots on this one little dot called Earth amongst who knows how many other dots in the universe. And all of this, all of this is that God became just like us, one of those dots. Like church, when you try to unpack all of this, what is it to really know that God left heaven and, and put on flesh and became his very creation? That God Almighty became a dot, just like the billions and billions and billions of other dots that was planted on this earth that's a dot compared to the universe, which we don't know the end of the universe. We don't even know how many dots there are out there as planets. It just keeps going and it just keeps going and it keeps going. And God, the creator of it all, put on flesh. Church, it's amazing to me when you try to dive into what it really means to have majesty in a manger, to, to know what it really means that God is with us. And there is a prophetic moment and there's a prophetic time that God is going to leave heaven in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. We believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And they are doing a work together. And now this is God in the flesh as son Jesus now put through the virgin birth of Mary. And all of this is like, huh, Woo! Like, wow! Like, like, okay, this is the woman and this is the seed from Genesis 3. Okay, now this is the prophecy of Isaiah 7, 14. We still have no idea when this is going to take place. And then Galatians 4. Verse 4, it says this, but when the fullness of time came. Church, the reality is God knows perfect timing for everything. God knows perfect timing for everything. God knew the exact perfect moment that God would have to put on flesh and become a dot like the billions of other dots and be just like us. That's amazing. But when the fullness of time came, when that exact perfect moment and the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. There's a woman from Genesis 3. We had Genesis 3, didn't give us a timetable. Isaiah, Isaiah 7 doesn't give us a timetable. But it happened in the absolute perfect fullness of time. Listen, we are in time. God is outside of time. When, 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 we, when this sinks in, we are so much better off to realize, man, we are in time. Man, we see our 24-7. We see our, our, you know, our 60 minutes in an hour. Like, we get that, right? We, we understand time within time. God is so far outside of time. Church, what happens? Please hear me when you understand God is the beginning and God is the end and God is the end and God is the beginning that he is father of it all. Like he knows it all. He sees it all. He's, he is way outside of time. And in this, when the fullness of time came in that absolute perfect moment of time, God sent forth his son to be the fulfillment of Genesis 3 to be the fulfillment of Isaiah 7. Born of a woman. 
under the law so that he might, here's the purpose, get it all. Here's the purpose. God put on flesh, God with us, that, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Church, the purpose of God sending his son, God putting flesh on, God with us, was the very purpose to get to the cross, to deal with the very issue that no man could deal with, and that was the sin issue. Only Jesus dealt with the sin issue so that at that point, you and I, who come to be born again, to believe Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that this would be true, that we would become adopted as sons and daughters of God. That's the purpose. God with us. But come on, I need you to take a little journey with me to Matthew chapter one, please. Matthew chapter one, please. For I do, I want, I want you to see this and, and, and its purpose, and I want you to see this. And, and try, to, try to go on a journey with me and try to unpack what this really looks like. And honestly, to, to be able to see this and, and to, see, to see what it took for this all to unpack. And church, when, when, we, when we begin with the understanding that God's grace is enough, and, and, and we're going to try to go through what this might look like in Matthew 1, chapter 1, verse 1, and try to go through the genealogy of Jesus. And you're like, man, that's like, wow, you're starting the Christmas story with the genealogy of Jesus. No, I'm starting the Christmas story that is in the perfect time God sent forth his son, born of a woman, so that you and I would be able to be born again and to be saved, to be called sons of God, daughters of God, to understand what it is to be adopted by him. But man, there is a process that God unpacked and the people that God chose to use so when you start looking at your ancestors, you start looking at your family tree, you're like, ah, man, there's a lot of knuckleheads in my past. Like you can go online and you can purchase the ancestry.com and you can go through and see the history. Some of you are like pumped about that. And then some of you get into your history going, oh, I got, whoo, I'm glad I turned out okay. Look at my path. Look at these people in my family. Look at what it was 300 years ago. And you just go down a list of knuckleheads in your family. You're like, oh, I guess God's grace is enough. It's amazing. But in an incredible truth that God chooses to use those who are broken, those who are hurting, those who are suffering, even the sin of man, God can still use for his glory. Why? Because God is in charge and God is sovereign and God is all powerful. And when you start looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of the living God who put on flesh for you and I, you're like, wow, these people, these people, and I want you to see it with me, please. You got the genealogy of Jesus is found in Matthew 1. Now follow me, please, for a minute. Matthew 1 and Luke 3. Like Matthew 1 and Luke 3. And when you start diving into these two genealogies, if you're like a nerd and you love all the names, listen, I'm a, I don't know the names. I'm not smart enough to read all the names and, and get them right. So it's like, and, and then Larry begot Mo, and then, you know, Mo and Larry and Curly. And it's just like you go through the names as we can pronounce them, right? So it's just like, but when you, when you, if you're a nerd and you're like, oh, I love genealogies and you've done your whole genealogy and you love reading through genealogies of the Old Testament, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, you follow them. Yeah. 
I like some of these names in here, but when you break down Matthew 1 and Luke 3, this is huge, don't miss this, don't miss this. Like there, there's, there's a, a, a change that is very important that I want to just kind of bring it to you so when you go through this, you're like, ah, what was the change about? What happened here? Right, when you, when you, come, to, when you, when you come to look at who the father of Joseph was, real simple, we're not gonna dive deep into this, we don't have time for this. But I want you to hear this. Matthew says the father of Joseph was Jacob. And we believe Jacob literally was his biological father of Joseph. Right? Luke's account in Luke 3 says the father of Joseph was Eli. Sean, is that a contradiction? How is that such a difference? You can only have one father. So to speak, biologically, yes. But we believe this. Matthew is the genealogy of Joseph's line Watch this now. Most scholars will tell you this. Most scholars believe that Luke is a count of Mary's line. And when you go through scripture, you see Mary had a sister. So we believe Eli is Mary's father who had two daughters who did not have any sons. So, so by custom, uh, the son-in-law who would be Joseph became the adopted son of the father. So it, it lines up. There's always a right answer when, there, when there's a contradiction within scripture, right? So Matthew is Joseph's line. Uh, most scholars believe, and I fall in that line, that Luke is Mary's line and Eli was Mary's father. He had no sons. So naturally the, the son-in-law becomes adopted as a son and, and, and takes over that, that role. So j- just so if you're going through this and you come across this, reading through the Christmas story, Man, I, I love it because a lot of times like you start getting into Christmas and people just, and I, and I love it, I do it myself. You just start rereading the Christmas story. You start in Matthew and then you go to Luke and you just read the first couple verses. I mean, the first couple chapters, and you're like, oh, what an amazing story. This is so good and it's so warm and it's just incredible. And you got the angels and you got the shepherds and you got, you got all of these amazing events that are taking place. And then just so if you were going through the genealogies, which I'm sure is like what you do for Christmas morning. Hey, let's, before we open presents, let's go through the genealogy. You probably don't, but like, um, I, wanna, I wanna dive into this in Matthew 1, verse one, it says this. Because church, if you get anything today, I want you to know God can use you. And his grace is enough for you. In the same token, please don't take this as an excuse to sin. Those who fear the Lord, know what it is to turn away from evil. Those who truly are born again know what it is to repent from sin. So please don't use God's grace as a crutch for sin. But when we sin, God's grace is enough. We don't boast in all of our strength. We boast in our weakness because that just points everything to putting Christ in the center of our attention, the center of our conversations, the center of even our sin where his grace was enough. And even as followers and disciples of Christ, truly those who are born again, when there is sin, there is God's grace. Now, when you start thinking on your past, you start thinking on the history of your sin line, you come to a place and say, be reminded, no, God's grace is enough. God's grace is enough. He has used broken, hurting, sinful, suffering people, people who've gone through tragedy, people who've made grave, deep mistakes, and he's put them in the the line of Jesus. It's incredible, church. 
It's incredible when you unpack this. Come on. The record of genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. It's amazing that he equates it to the son of David and the son of Abraham. Matthew's genealogy, you can write down anywhere near Matthew 1. It's like his, his royalty. It's his kingship. Like when you go to Luke 3, it's kind of more of his common humanity. Right? 100% God, 100% man. You have it here in both, right? So when you, when you start unpacking this, you're going to see that, that, that I love where Matthew 1, it starts with Abraham and then ends with, with Jesus. And Luke 3, it starts with Jesus and it ends all the way to Adam. So it speaks to his common humanity. Uh, Matthew 1 speaks to his royalty, his kingship. So I want you to see this. The record of genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, I want you to identify a few people here. I'm going I'm to just read some names, and then we're going to identify them. You've got Abraham. You've got Judah. You've got Tamar. You've got Boaz. You have Rahab. Right? You have Ruth. You have Bathsheba. You've got David. You've got Solomon. These are the ones that we're going to kind of cover. So I want you to see this. Right? Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nishan. Nishan was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Ruth. I'm sorry, by, by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah, and Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. So when you, when you look at these and you know any church history from some of these people and, and you realize that this is Matthew 1, this is leading up to God with us, this is leading up to the miraculous, incredible virgin birth that Mary and Joseph is, is the one. Could you imagine where Joseph, right? This is, this is, this is Joseph's line. That Joseph comes to that place in this whole big story that the angel comes to Mary. Mary, you're the one. Like, hey, this is the deal. Like, God has chosen you. Mary, you're it. Mary, you're the one. You're going to bring the Savior, the Messiah, into this world. You're the one fulfilling Isaiah 7. Like, they knew the scripture, right? And then Mary, however it worked out, somehow Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. Joseph had nothing to do with Mary being pregnant. So naturally, and completely being 100% right, Joseph being a righteous man, going, ah, I wasn't there when that happened. Someone else must have been there when that happened. I can't believe she betrayed me. I can't believe that she broke this covenant. Ah, but I love her. I'm going to put her away silently. I'm not going to have her publicly stoned, but I can't be with her. She broke the covenant. I can't believe her. And then an angel shows up to Joseph. Hold on, Joseph, hold on. No, you're the guy. You're the adopted father for the son of God. Like, like Mary's that chosen one. Mary is the one that you read in the Old Testament prophets that said, hey, behold, there's a day coming that, that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come. And Joseph, you're going to name him Emmanuel. He is, you're the one. Call him Emmanuel. God with us. Joseph, you're in the story. You're the guy. You can imagine where Joseph had to Truly take all of this in to be like, whoo, like, ha, ha, breathe. He's probably talking to himself. Breathe, Joseph. Breathe. Like, 
this is of the Holy Spirit. Like Mary said, it was of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't really believe her. And now I believe her. Like this is like, whoo. No, this is it. This is real. And then you see how God who is outside of time, he took a bunch of broken people and brought it right down to Joseph's line. He took a bunch of broken people and brought it right down to Mary's line. And when that perfect time came, the Messiah was born. And these are some of the players. You've got Abraham, the father of Isaac. Abraham was declared to be the, the father of, of many nations. He's, he is the, the father of God's chosen people, Israel. Well, Abraham did a lot of things right, but Abraham failed miserably when it came to his wife, Sarah. There's a time when they went into Egypt and Abraham, you know, was concerned for his life where, where Sarah was this beautiful woman, probably mid-60s, but yet gorgeous, beautiful, so much beauty and so much so that Abraham thought they, they, you are so beautiful, they're going to kill me in order to get to you. So let's do this. Let's just proclaim that you're my sister. Let's just go in and let's just proclaim to Pharaoh that you're my sister. Therefore, they won't kill me because they're just going to take you. That's a good plan, Sarah. Let's go, let's go with that. So they go in. She declares to be a sister. Pharaoh takes her into the palace. And uh, God shows up with the plagues going, ah, Pharaoh, bad idea. She's married. Pharaoh comes back to Abraham. What are you thinking? Why, why would you do that to me that God sent plagues on me because she's married to you? Because he's a coward. And he is willing to give up his wife just to spare his own life. Yeah, the father of the nation. Like, this is like, Abraham is a big deal. Like, you think one time, that's a bad idea. But he does it again. Right? So he's like, hey, we're going to the King Amalek. And let's, hey, Sarah, ha, how about we do this again? Like, listen, uh, I'm afraid for my life. You're absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. They're going to kill me to get to you. So let's do the same thing again. And uh, let, let's just say that you're my sister. Could you imagine Sarah going... Didn't we do this already? It, it, didn't, it didn't go well. Like, but no, she goes through the plan. And once again, uh, you know, this, this, this whole thing of the king, angel shows up, says, don't you dare take her. She's a married woman. Uh, he comes to Abraham. Uh, you know, this is the whole second show. In other words, Abraham didn't have it all together. Abraham was considered a coward. Abraham was considered more, more thinking on himself than his wife Right, and, and this is kind of where this begins. And then you have verse three. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. So who, who is Judah and Tamar? Right, you've got, you've got Judah and you've got Tamar, except it says Judah was, was the father of Perez and Zerah through, through Tamar. However, Tamar is his daughter-in-law. So how do you unpack that the father-in-law is sleeping with the daughter-in-law? That's... Never a good idea. Horrible. Well, you have Judah, who, who has two sons. He has three sons, actually. Uh, one son was married off to Tamar. Uh, the one son did evil in the sight of God, and God took out the son before she could give birth to, to, to a child. So she's childless. 
So she comes to, to Judah says, listen, I, I, I'm childless. I need a child. Uh, this was huge. And, and the custom to be with a man child is huge. So what, what does, what does uh, Judah do? He says, listen, you can have my second born son and, and he will come and you will conceive. And then, you know, because that was custom that the second son was supposed to take over for the first son, for the wife. And then all of a sudden, the second son did evil in the sight of God uh, and God killed him too. So then Judah says, okay, I do have another son. He's not, not of age. He's a young, young boy. But when he grows up, what I want you to do is tomorrow is I want you to go home to your family. And when he's of age, I will send him to you. You can marry him and, and then move on with your life. So Tamar trusted him and went home and waited for many years. Well, Judah never got back to her. His youngest son grew up, had nothing to do with Tamar. Tamar took a burn to this. She put on prostitute clothing. She found where Judah was going. This is years later. Uh, convinced him to come sleep with her, not knowing that it was his daughter-in-law. Uh, at that point, conceived twins. So you've got just, this is, that is a messed up family. Right? You've got a, a truly a messed up family with Judah and Tamar. But this is, wow, this is in the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And then you go through verse 5. You got Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Who was Rahab? Rahab was the prostitute in Jericho. Like, this is a, a prostitute's name. And when you understand genealogies, you won't find any other genealogy where there's actually females in the genealogy. This is a truly unique and very special to biblical Jewish literature that they would put females in genealogies. And here you have several different females. You have Tamar and now you have Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was the prostitute that the two spies came into that she invited in into her house to protect them as they're the ones that were spying out the line, the, 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 the walls in, in Jericho for Joshua. So here you've got now this prostitute who's in this line and now you have Boaz and you have Ruth. Well, what is the Ruth story? There's a whole book written about, about Ruth. And here you've got, you've got some messed up people, some messed up people, some sinful people. You've got a prostitute. You've got Tamar who acted like a prostitute. You've got, you've got Abraham. Like you've got all of this line and then you come to Ruth. Ruth's story is one of suffering and tragedy. Not sin, but suffering and tragedy. You, you, you know the Ruth story. You know Naomi. You know where Naomi had two daughter-in-laws. That means she had two sons. Both sons passed away. Her husband passed away. This was tragic. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. Uh, the daughter-in-laws lost their husbands. And then one daughter-in-law says, uh, you know, Naomi says, go to your home, go back to your place and live your life. One daughter-in-law says, yes, ma'am. The other daughter-in-law, which is Ruth, says, no, I'm, I'm committed to you. You're my mother-in-law and I'm going where you go. Now you got to understand something. Ruth was, was, was not from Israel. She was not Jewish. She was actually pagan, believed in, in false gods in her religion. But she says, no, I'm committed to you and I want to stay loyal to you. And where you go, she says, I go. I love that. Church, I love loyalty. And Ruth to Naomi, who's struggling. Naomi, who's hurting. Naomi, who's broken. Ruth, who's struggling. Ruth, who has great loss. Ruth, who has no finances. Now both of them have lost their finances and their husbands. And ah, what are we going to do? She's like, no, where you go, I go. I'm loyal to you. They go back to Israel. No money. 
Maruth is like, listen, I'll go into the fields and work. But Naomi, I'm committed to you. Naomi, I'm committed to you. Ruth goes into the field owned by this gentleman named Boaz. And Boaz is like, well, who's that? Church, what is it? To truly believe, God, I know that you know it all. God, I know that you can use it all. God, even in tragedy and hurt and brokenness in church, I want you to please, please get this today. If you're in a season of struggle, a season of tragedy, a season of loss, a season of suffering. You, you can look at the simple story of this genealogy of Jesus and see who God used. And I'm one who truly believes in the ripple effect of life because we know that God is outside of time. Because, man, we just see, you know, 24-7. We see 365. We put it in year terms. We put it in hour terms. We put it in minute terms. We put it in days and weeks. And we just, we live through a, a timetable of I'm hurting right now. I'm suffering right now. But church, none of us can see the future. But God does. And he's already there. He knows it all. So, man, I want you to be encouraged, even from this simple genealogy, to, to, to say, God, no matter what I'm going through. Man, please hear me, church. There's times that our pain and suffering is self-induced. There's times you've made horrible, horrible decisions in life. And that has caused great pain. And that has caused great suffering. Self-induced. Yet God's grace is enough. Man, I come before him for, 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 for repentance. I come before him and, and bank on his grace. God, your grace is enough. Father, forgive me. I've made horrible decisions. And I own my consequences. But God, you are good. But then there's the not self-induced. There's just the things that happen in life that are tragic, that, that cause you suffering, that cause you great loss that had nothing to do with your choice. It's just life, and life came, and it hurts. Church, what do you do with that? What do you do with a Ruth and a Naomi that have lost everything, that have to go back and work in the fields to, to, to press wheat? Church, what is it to lean into the Lord, and what is it to truly trust Him and say, God, I don't know it, but God, I believe, I believe and the ripple effect. I believe that God, you see my tragedy. God, not that you have caused this tragedy, but God, for some reason it has been allowed in my life because I know that you are over all things, but you've allowed this and God, in my time of suffering and my pain, God, I have to begin to truly trust you and rely on you and lean into you and depend on you because God, I know that you see it all and I don't know the end game to my tragedy. I don't know the end game to my suffering, but God, I believe in the ripple effect. So Something happens here and God so many ripples down the way God you can use it for good church what is it to truly believe that God will use all things for good all things God can use for good so in this it's time that we just lean into him and it's time to just trust him and it's time to say God I don't want to use this as my crutch anymore 
I think so many times we use suffering and we use tragedy as a crutch either to be mad at God or to be angry at God or to use it as a crutch for whatever reason. And this is what I want for today. I want you to be saying, God, it's time. I see it. God, you used Ruth and you used this story somehow, some way. Boaz found her in a field and said, who's that? And she became the grandmother to King David, the greatest king in Israel's history. The man after God's own heart. God used Ruth in her tragedy, in her brokenness, in her loss, in her loyalty to say, I'm with you. Church, what is it to not know the end game? But say, God, I believe in the ripple effect. I believe that there is a day that you will use all things together for good. I believe it. God, I may never, ever see it. Church, this is thousands of years. Are you kidding me, Abraham? To Jesus, thousands and thousands and thousands of years. They didn't see the ripple effect. But everything in me believes that even if I don't see it, even if it's not in my time of 24-7, somehow, some way you will use this for good. There will be a ripple effect down the way somehow, some way. Amen, church, I want this to be that day that you give God back your crutch. Even in this amazing Christmas story, I see that you used the hurting, the broken, the suffering, and the sinner to bring about your story bring about that moment for the virgin to give birth. Church, what happens when you look at this and say, God, could it be that you could use a Ruth, but the Lord, you could use me and you could use my brokenness and you can use my pain. You can use my suffering. And even if I never get to see it on this side of eternity, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust in you that you will use it. And you will use it for good. And then you see Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David the king. We know David is known for two people in his life. He's known for Goliath and he's known for Bathsheba. One was he was a hero of, the other he was a knucklehead. Like So when you look at like even David, like the sins of David, but yet David was a man after God's own heart. Yet David gives us so many of the Psalms. He just had such a heart to worship and a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of praise through the Psalms and through the poems and through the songs that he would write and just, just declare the goodness of God. Just incredible when you see David, but man, David was a hero with Goliath, but man, he was an absolute, what, 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 he just, he's lost himself in Bathsheba. you see, even through all of that, Bathsheba is now used in the bloodline for Joseph. Because David and Bathsheba's first son was taken by God as, as a consequence to the sin 
And then they had a second son named Solomon and we get so much from Solomon. We get Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, so many different things from Solomon. Uh, and then there's Solomon who was an absolute knucklehead who had 700 concubines. That's, a really, about, that's about 700 really bad decisions. If you have one wife, amen, keep it with one. Anything outside of that's a really bad decision. He, he had 700 truly mistakes and awful decisions that led to disaster. But yet he's in the story, man. He's in the story. And then you get to verse 16, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. And then you have this amazing encounter with Joseph and the angel. The angel comes to him in a dream and goes through this whole thing. Don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. Man, this is a big deal. Man, she's going to bear a son. Call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. And then, he, and then he, and he really hammers it down in verse 23. And then he repeats Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translates meaning God is with us. It took all of that to get to Joseph. All of the messed up people, the thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history. For when the fullness of time came, for when the fullness of time came, in God's perfect ripple effect, in his absolute perfect timing, in his sovereignty, in his excellence, in his majesty, in his glory. God as supreme, knows all things. Says when the fullness of time came, she bore a child. And Joseph, you're the one. As the adopted father for your bloodline to be the adopted father of Jesus. Quickly turn with me to, to Luke, please, chapter two. But church, there's more to the story. There's more to why Joseph, I believe, was chosen. Look at Luke two, verse one, it says this. Now in those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, that's the Roman Empire at the time, the Roman Empire, that this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now watch this. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Church, I believe that there's a lot more to Joseph's story. Yes, he was a righteous man. Yes, he, he had a healthy, holy fear of God. Yes, he took on the role as adopted father. But the whole genealogy of Joseph for Jesus, why did it have to be Joseph? Because there would be a day that a census was taken and God's absolute, oh, how do you unpack majesty in a manger? How do you unpack the absolute perfect, amazing 
God timing of a virgin to give birth to a son in this complete fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. And then there's this guy named Joseph. Watch this. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. The Roman Empire was huge. Everyone's going to all of their own little cities all over the Roman Empire. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea. To the what? To the what? To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Why? What's it say? Because he was of the family of David. This is the genealogy of Joseph. Because he was of the family of David. Because he was of the house of David. There would be a day, 700 years, prophesied from Micah 5, that there is a place called Bethlehem. And this is where the amazing king will be born. How on earth did God Almighty take this little dot named Joseph? way back from the genealogy of Joseph's heritage thousands and thousands and thousands of years in the absolute perfect timing of it all that there would be a census from pagan Roman Empire this is not God's chosen people but he used them to bring forth the Micah 5 prophecy church when you try to unpack all of this impossible except for I serve the one true living God who is God Almighty who God in his sovereignty can use broken hurting messed up sinful people to bring about the plan that he has had from eternity past and bring it into perfect timing to bring it into using these pagan players, using whomever he chooses to use to bring about his plan, to bring about his glory so that we today can truly celebrate Christmas, celebrate the reason for the season that God put on flesh and became man so that God would be with us to deal with the us issue, which is the sin issue, put himself on a cross to die for that issue, which we could not die for, that issue that we could not do anything about except receive the forgiveness of our sin by the blood sacrifice of Christ. Don't ever forget the very purpose of God coming with us was to save us. That's the purpose so that we would be adopted as sons and daughters. And church, when you unpack all of this and you look at Joseph, you look of Joseph being the, the lineage of, of David and the house of David, the father of David for this one time, first ever census to take place. Joseph and Mary right back to the place that was prophesied 700 years before this in Micah 5. Church, try to unpack that. That's why it truly is majesty and a manger. I don't know if you would just stand with me, please, as we pray, but I just want to close with it with a, with a thought for you like I need to ask you like where are you in this I, I mean me personally I'm just blown away again by just going over this this week and just diving into the genealogy and diving into who God used to just brokenness and I understand God even in me your grace is enough for me his grace is enough for you 
Amen. Maybe you've gone through hurt and pain and tragedy and suffering. Maybe it is self-induced. Receive God's forgiveness today for that. Maybe it's not self-induced and you've just been struggling. Man, what is it to say, okay, God, I see that there is a biblical truth to tragedy. I see that there is a biblical truth to God. You can use all things together for good. I may never see it, but God, I got to trust it's true. That's how much I trust you. That's where my level of faith is. That God, even in the midst of tragedy, I trust that you use it for good. I trust, I may never even see it, but God, I trust that you use it today. I give you my crutch today. I give you my excuses, God. Today, I come before you and say, God, I give it back to you. I hand you my crutch today. I hand you my struggle today. I hand you, I, I hand you all of my pain today that I, that, that I have distanced myself from you. But today that changes. Because I see where you use tragedy and you use suffering and you use, you use brokenness and you use messed up people to get your plan accomplished. Come on, bow your heads with me, please. Man, if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, today's your day. Today's your day. One, you need to repent from sin. Acknowledge sin's the issue. Number two, you got to believe in Jesus. Number two, the solution to our sin is only Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the answer and the only answer to the issue, and the issue is sin. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So every single one of us fall in the same pond of sin. And thirdly, it says you need to confess that he is Lord. It means I just surrender to him. And today can be your day in this moment. You just simply come before him and say, Father, forgive me of my sins. I repent from my sin. I recognize my sin will cause eternal separation from you. I get that. And in this moment, I call on Jesus. Jesus, I get it. You're the only answer. God, you love me so much that you sent your own son to die on the cross. And in this moment, I receive you as my Lord. Lord, save me. Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Come into my life. And I will walk with you. As Katie is singing this song, would you just repeat that before the Lord? If you truly want to be truly born again, come to him on his terms. Repent, believe, and surrender. Man, if you need prayer for any reason, you need prayer for healing, you need prayer for finances, you need prayer for, for family, you, need, you want to talk more about Jesus, we love to talk about Jesus. We'll talk to you more about Jesus. Man, there's just be a group up here that want to pray with you. Man, if you need to be anointed with oil, we're going to anoint you with oil. But man, I want, I want you to really get this today and understand walking out of this place that God's grace is sufficient for you. Come on.